Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Mr. Mark Turner. Mark is a United States Marine vet. He is a very high-level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Damian Maia. He is a day trader, and he is also the owner of the BJJ Lab in Naperville, Illinois, which I frequently go to, and he has choked me out countless, countless, countless amounts of time, and uh, I've been wanting to get him on here, so... Uh, a few things that that's pretty cool is one of the one of the things I really have the most interest in doing is talking to guys that do MMA jiu-jitsu or athletics that also want to take that discipline and that um, creativity I guess and bring it over to investing and I really don't have a lot of information on stocks and this was cool because you're you're a hybrid of it and you're the first guy that I have coming on that does uh, high level jiu-jitsu competes I think you're, you're ranked top 10 in the world right IBJJF yeah Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And also doing uh doing your thing with the stocks. So I'd love to hear more about that. And I also like it because on top of running a gym, uh being a full-time dad, you also have a full-time job and you also have your side hustle. So I don't know how you sleep and find a way to do it, but you're never in a bad mood. You're probably because you're choking people all <laughs> night long. But uh yeah, give, give a quick uh, quick background on yourself and then we'll dig deep into some jujitsu and some investing stuff. So, yeah, I, th- I think a lot of kind of who I am and what I do and how I do it comes from uh, my background. I grew up in Scotland in a very small, uh, poor mining town. Um, and it's the kind of place where there's not a lot of opportunity. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's almost you, you can make more money not working than you can make working. So people don't really have that um, or most people, I'll say, don't have that drive to go out and be an entrepreneur, that drive to just get stuff done, to, to tackle the world, that kind of stuff. So um, when I moved to this country, obviously this country is ripe for being able to take advantage of opportunity. And, and at an early type age, once I moved here, I, I learned that and I kind of gravitated to that and, and I saw that and I learned a lot about American history, learned a lot about you know, the founding fathers of this country and, and kind of what this country's all about and saw opportunity. And maybe I just have a, a, a knack for finding and seeking opportunity and trying to hit it as hard as possible. But, you know, I, th- I think it came from that. I think it came from seeing both ends. It came from seeing there not being any opportunity and then seeing the extreme opposite of, you know, America, where I don't care who you are, there's incredible opportunity in this, in this country, um, you know, and, and I don't think you can let background or circumstance hold you back from that. It's, that's just another thing to overcome, no matter what, uh, no matter what, where you come from and what opportunity you're trying to find, there's always obstacles. So that's just one of those obstacles. So that kind of put me in that frame of mind and in that, in that place to say, Hey, look, there's stuff to be done here. Let's see what we can get done. And then really start looking for that. Nice. Nice. So how did you wind up getting from Scotland and did you come straight to the Chicago area or did the military bring you out there? Like how did that all kind of, no, 
when I was younger, my mother worked for a international uh, like telecommunications company. And she was doing some work with people that were here in the U.S. They had like a, a, a branch of the, of, the, of the company here in the U.S. And um, so she was working back and forth. And we came over initially on like an 18-month visa, a work visa. Um, and then it just kept getting extended, extended, extended. And we were here for quite a while. And then my mother got remarried when we were here. And then we just ended up we got green cards we were able to stay here kind of the the american dream type thing and then i i joined the military in high school um i wanted to be an infantry officer so i wanted to go to military college so kind of like west point and i, I got accepted to uh, vmi i was looking at vmi and i was looking at the citadel because i wanted to be a marine corps officer i didn't want to go to the naval academy um so i i was accepted to vmi and was kind of that's what i wanted to do but then I just kind of got to the point where I said, I don't want to wait four years before I can actually serve. And so I just enlisted. I enlisted when I was 17. My parents had to sign the paper for me. So, Well, thank you for your service. You know, some of the Marines are some of the best guys I know. I know a bunch of them and all of them are good guys and straight up killers. So thank you for what you do, sir. Uh, no problem. It's my, uh, it was my way of giving back for, you know, the opportunity this country gave me. And it was, it's, a, it's an honor. So it was fantastic. You don't have to say thank you at all. <laughs> my uh, my friend Johnny Eubanks, like the the two um, first guys that I ever got introduced to jujitsu with, was one of them. My my buddy Johnny, who was a Marine, and uh, he wound up passing away. But um, if he saw like what jujitsu turned into and just UFC and everything, he was like the first guy I remember. He would have me come over his house when he was home, like on leave in between deployments, and he'd say, "Hey man, I I went like to." Saudi Arabia and I did this grappling in this jiu-jitsu tournament you want to watch my fights and then he'd be like rolling around the ground with some dude I'd be like what is this bullshit dude like how can we not hit each other like I don't want to watch this this is boring but he was like the first guy that I remember having these videos and all like the boot like pride VHS stuff that he got with like the right. camcorder stuff and then uh you know he got me down to my first class him and then the guy from um, biohazard Billy Grazi day and then uh you know, we went to one school and then I wound up finding Matt Sarah and just kind of falling in love. But, uh, you know, again, another Marine that kind of, if it wasn't for him, I don't know if I would have ever, you know, found jujitsu and started that whole thing. So you have some really cool yeah, stories. Very good. You know, you've been, uh, I think you've been a black belt longer than I've even been training. You, you got a, a long list on you. And I, I, I know you've told some stories about how Damien kind of took you under his wing. And when you were first getting into jujitsu, it was, uh, I guess, the guys that you were training with at some of the schools it wasn't really that sense of like community and helping each other. It was kind of the old days of just, you know, you smash each other and you walk out the door. And I know Matt's told stories about how like there was one class a week at Henzo's and you, you took the train and that was it. There was like three jujitsu schools within like the tri-state area. So um, talk a little bit about how you found jujitsu and uh, you don't mind telling a little bit about the story about how you came up with Damien, who obviously is like, you know, one of the godfathers, biggest names there in, uh, in jujitsu now. Yeah, so I started training jiu-jitsu when I was in high school. This was back in 1997, I started training. And this was, I mean, nobody knew what jiu-jitsu was back then. Um, I, I wrestled in high school. I was a pretty accomplished wrestler, did quite well. And then I met a guy who had been training for like six months, six or eight months. And this is like six or eight months of 1997 jiu-jitsu, right? I mean, <laughs> look, to paint the picture... If, if you were a blue belt back then, you were 
you were a god. I mean, it was, you never saw a blue belt. I, I remember we had one guy who went, th th this one guy we knew went out to see uh, to Hickson's Academy and get graded out there. And he came back and he had one stripe on his white belt. And that was, I mean, we were in awe of this <laughs> one stripe on on the guy's white belt. And, and that, so that was the level of, that was the level of jujitsu at the time. And uh, I had met this guy, again, he had been training for six to eight months and you know, he was like, oh, I trained jiu-jitsu. And I'm thinking, jiu-jitsu sounds like karate. I'm a wrestler. No problem. I'll take this guy down and smash him, right? So that's what happened. I took him down and I smashed him. And then he just started submitting me, right? Arm bars, triangles, just very basic stuff. Like I said, it was way back when. And, uh, I mean, this was when we all wore, like, uh, unbleached geese, geese that were, like, and I was like, no, I have to quit. Because if I, if I do both, I won't be great at either one. This is for uh, wrestling um, Yeah, I said if I did both at the same time, I didn't think I'd ever be great at either one of them. And so I quit wrestling and went to jiu-jitsu. And, and you know what? It's kind of good that I did that. And, you know, I'll, we'll talk about how I feel about decisions probably at some point during this podcast. But I don't think there was too much thought went into that decision. But it actually worked out for me because – okay, maybe I would have went to college to become a wrestler and I maybe would have wrestled in college. But I was never going to make a world team. I was never going to make an Olympic team. Um, you know, and, and then even if I did, let's say, what comes after that, right? You can't really do too much after that. Where jiu-jitsu, here I am. I'm, I started at, at uh, 17. I'm 38 years old now and I'm still training, competing. I have a big academy. So... You know, I could have, I could have done both. I whatever, right? But it just, I, I think it panned out in a, in a very good way, and and it just kind of taught me. That was one of my first kind of lessons about look, if you really want something, focus on it, right? And so I focused on jujitsu, and and it went from there. And then, you know, I had trained a little bit when I was I was a blue belt when I met Damien. Um, we were training a little bit and all this kind of stuff. And then at one point, I had come back from. Uh, I think it I think it was a deployment or some big long extended training exercise and I was training at this one academy for a while and yeah the, the atmosphere the environment just wasn't very good um people just I don't want to say didn't get along but they didn't really care about each other they weren't trying to help each other they just were you know it was just kind of a mean place and and so I would talk to Damien about that and and then at one point he just kind of said you know what hey you know, we're friends. Why don't you just come and, and be with me? I'll be your coach. And he was spending a lot of time in the U.S. at that point. This was way before the UFC and, um, you know, before a lot of stuff, before he won ADCC, all that kind of stuff. This was like 2006. Um, and, you know, we just kind of been friends and I've been his student ever since. So I was the first, uh, the first gringo, the first non-Brazilian that he ever awarded the black belt to. That's awesome. That's good stuff. So I think it's, uh, it's cool. So you, you talked about decisions and focusing, which, uh, you know, I think is, is a, a huge thing. And, um, you know, I told the story a few times that when I, I stopped trying to do like MMA and I just focused on just jujitsu, my jujitsu definitely got better. And, and, um, you know, I find in business, it's, it's a very similar struggle. So being that you're doing very well in multiple things, how do you find the time and even the energy? I know you get up really early, but to get up early, go to a regular job, you're at the academy pretty much every day. Now you're doing all the online videos and you're doing your day trading, you know, and you have a family. So how do you find some time to have that balance and, um, 
and like a follow-up question to that is, well, I guess you're, you're kind of trained a little bit too, but I was going to ask how it affects you. Um, I'm finding myself getting edgier faster because I'm not able to go train. And like, again, even when I just go and train with you and you just get walloped, it's, it still kind of gets that outlet out of you that you can go in the rest of the day and, you know, it kind of beats all that agitation and irritability out of you. So, um, yeah, how do you, how do you find that time to really make things happen and how are you managing with not being able to physically train as much? Yeah, so I used to, when I was younger, I used to actually sleep a lot. I kind of was that sleep to noon kind of guy, you know, stay up really late, uh, sleep till noon. And at, at one point, I just kind of started saying, look, I have a lot I want to do and, and a lot that I think I can do, a, a lot that I can be good at. And, you know, for me, passion is a big thing, right? If if I'm interested in something, I'll I'll dive into it. And, and I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it the way you've done it, right? I mean, I, I've listened to a lot of your podcast. You've had a lot of people on that are doing great things. And, and you could argue that some of them are doing things that other people have done as well. But if you really listen to what they say, they're doing it differently. So, you know, maybe they're doing something that, that this guy or that guy's done, but they're doing it their own way. And they found, they found that difference. And I think that if you're just trying to do things Oh, I'll just copy what, what Nick's done and I'll have, you know, an, a, a property portfolio like Nick does. I'll just do exactly what he does. I think that gives you a ton of room for failure, right? But, but that's easy. I don't have to put a lot of time into that. I can just ask you, I can pay you, I can research about you, follow you on, on everything that you teach on and all this. And I can just try and copy you. But I think my, my result for failure there is higher. So what I think is, look, I want to do this, A, B, C, whatever it is. I need to find a way for me to do it. And that takes time, that takes focus, that takes research, that takes dedication. And, you know, you just, that's what I want, so that's what I do. I think that the biggest excuse that people have is I don't have time or I don't have as much time as I need. You have time. You know, if, if you go to bed, you know, an hour later, or half an hour later, and you wake up half an hour earlier, that's an extra hour in your day, right? And you can do a lot in an hour. You know, if you get up and you put the, the coffee pot on and you stare out the window for a little bit, okay, now you have half an hour. You just wasted that, right? But, okay, if you need an extra hour, adjust your bedtime, adjust the time you wake up. If you need two hours, adjust your bedtime, adjust the time you wake up. I don't nap. I don't, you know, I just I just go. I just, I have things I want to do, and I have things I want to get done, and, and I have a drive for those things. I, I don't do anything in my life that I don't have a drive for, that I don't have a passion for, because why would I, right? Um, even the things that are kind of compulsory that we have to do in life, I find a drive for those things, right? Because you could say, oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, but I have to. It's just something I have to do. I just have to get through it. You're not going to do well with that. And it's going to take you twice as long to do it, right? And you're probably going to have to do some rework around it because you just didn't really care. So that's something maybe that we don't naturally have a passion for. But my advice is find a passion for it. Find a reason to have a passion for that task to get it done. And, and then you'll see you have more time in the day than, than you'll ever imagine. You know? and, and like you said, I don't really get tired. Uh, like I said, I don't nap. It's because I have stuff to do and I have stuff I want to do. So... Um, as far as the jiu-jitsu training right now, I mean, I'm blessed enough to where 
I'm still going in. I'm training with with uh, one of the students every day, kind of to keep me sharp. And I am filming the videos for for all of the students. So at least I still get to be in the academy. Still get to you know put my gear on, tie my belt, um, do some of that stuff. But it is difficult. I, I mean, you know, we are used to you know some of the guys in the academy. They're there four or five days a week training, and now they just have to look at me on their computer screen or on their TV with, with the videos. So um, it is hard, but again, it's just a little obstacle. It's something we have to overcome, something we can, you know, you have to take it yourself and say, okay, if you're feeling agitated, do something, right? I mean, I don't care if it's, we all like take working out for now. We all take time to work out. We say, okay, from one to two, I'm hitting the gym or one to two, I'm going for a run. Maybe, and I've done this in the past, every time if I'm watching TV, if I'm watching the game, every time commercials come on, I'm doing burpees. Or every time the commercials come on, I'm doing push-ups. Or, you know, if I have to go upstairs in my house, I'm going to go up and down 10 times. And that, that changes the way you look at having to stay busy in this quarantine-type situation, right? If I had one time I had one of those pull-up bars, I put it above the bathroom door. And every time I had to go to the bathroom, I did pull-ups. I did a max set of pull-ups. And then every time I came out of the bathroom, I did a max set of pull-ups. So, I mean, you can break up stuff like that because sure. Yeah. You, you, you and you probably, well, I don't know about you because you, uh, <laughs> you with your, your takeout food and all this, I don't know what you're doing for working out. So I'm not going to give you credit, but I'm not going to put you down either. But if, if you're working out right now, um, you know, it's probably, Hey, from one to two, I'm going to work out or you wake up every day and you find a time that you can get a workout. And I don't think that will fix the issue that you're saying that you're finding yourself in of I'm still agitated. I'm still bothered because it's just scheduled. Do you know what I mean? So it's not, it's not anything different. It's not that you texting me the night before and saying, hey, do you want to do 6 a.m. tomorrow and train? That gets you going. That gets you excited. And then, and then once it happens, it gets you ready and pumped up for that day because it's just it's, it's somewhat spontaneous, somewhat planned, but it's, it's exciting to you. It's a drive for you, right? I mean, you get excited when we train. I know that. Where if, if we don't have that now and you just say, look, I know I still have to be working out and you just concretely schedule that in, I don't think it's going to scratch that itch for you. I get a lot of questions from people on uh, wanting to pick my brain, wanting to ask me about what I do, how do I do it, all kinds of things across the spectrum. One of the things I try and answer back with is there's a few different ways that we can work together. People can either um, participate by being a buyer, being a seller, or being a partner, and that's really the best way to learn. So if people have questions that have reached out to me, the best thing to do is jump on www.nicknicknick.com and you can schedule a consultation if you're looking to sell properties, buy part properties, partner on some deals, or just get a general consultation to see where we can even fit in and where we can do business together on any level. There's options for that to set some stuff up. So please visit www.nicknicknick.com to buy, to sell, or to partner on real estate deals or opportunities. That is the place to go. That is the best way to start making money and learning the process. You 100% nailed it. Because I mean, like even this morning, I'm, I'm trying to find ways to, to multitask where I can. So I have like a, a, a mastermind all day today. And then I had two hours of stuff I had to watch for my real estate stuff. So I got up at five. I put it on the, on, the, um, on the iPad and I rode the Peloton for an hour and a half. 
but like waking up to watch a webinar and get on the Peloton for an hour and a half does not do the same thing like you're saying. Like when I leave jujitsu and it's 7 a.m., we just train for an hour, I kick that day's ass and I feel great. Like it's just, it's just a different thing. And, uh, and I do worry about guys that, you know, like I'm doing things to stay in shape, which is good. But when you don't have that mental release, I, and, you know, I was saying this on one of my other podcasts recently, uh, it might've been with James Krause, but Matt, Sarah, like, it's always funny because when we get together and you start to really know each other at the Academy, he always says like, Hey man, like the Academy is the land of misfit toys. Like we're all broken and this is where we come to like get our fix and, and heal up. And this is where we kind of find each other. So, you know, I, I do worry about some of the guys that don't have that, that release. They're not getting that about like, so people sitting home, like to, yeah, there's going to be financial stuff, but the, the mental part of that too. So I think it's awesome what you're doing with the videos for those guys that do need that sense of community and being able to just connect and the stuff you're doing with, with like just keeping everybody plugged in on the WhatsApp and having the whiskey drinking night. And like, we have a very fun group that everybody's always engaging and keeping each other in good spirits. And again, you know, I think that comes from the top down. So I, I think that that's awesome stuff. But, um, you know, again, what you said, you know, you've, you've been in the, like, in the military and, you know, you came over from a different country and, and struggle and adversity is not something that you, it doesn't shut you down. You wouldn't be where you are in jujitsu and in life and in business if it was. But I was listening to um, this morning, Mark Evans, and he was talking about it. He said a lot of people in his life, they're, they're freaking out right now. And they have all this anxiety about what's going to happen, where are they going to get paid, what's going to go on. And he was like, guys that are business owners or, or entrepreneurial, like this is just a Wednesday to them. Like the, the ups and downs of like your business failing and doing well. And what's like, this is just every day for us. So it's not that big a change, but people that aren't used to that, um, I think this is where they start to, to feel it. And now I think a lot of people are starting to see that, that false safety net that they thought they had with their job or their 401k or, you know, that whatever they were doing that they thought they were playing things safe. Now they're starting to look and go crap. Like now my bubble just burst and I really don't have that. So I like that you texted me and were like, hey, man, I have some things that I can do now to help with people that are maybe in a bad financial spot. They have some time that they can start to invest. So um, tell me a little bit about how you came into that. And again, with discipline, I know just like you're saying, people go, hey, I want to listen to a podcast and then go buy a bunch of real estate. It's not always that easy. I want to watch a bunch of YouTube videos and be a black belt. It doesn't really work like that. And you said people have come up to you and said, hey, I want to learn how you're trading. You try and give them like the fundamentals and they go, well, no, I want to do it like you're doing it. Said, well, it took me like years of learning all these different things and what to do and what not to do. So um, talk a little bit about what you do as a day trader and, and how you fell into it. And then we'll go into some, some tricks of the trade. Yeah. So I, uh, I got interested in the markets when I got back from Iraq. Um, again, it's, I'm a very technical, I mean, you know, I'm a very technical person. I'm, I'm very kind of quirky that way. And, and the market is that right. I mean, it's, it's incredible. So I, I got interested in trading, didn't know what to do, had no idea, um, tried to, I mean, we're in Chicago, right? I mean, the trading floors are here. I, I tried to find some people to teach me. One thinks that whether it's a stock trader, futures trader, whatever, everybody thinks that these people have some kind of mystical knowledge that is so difficult to learn and obtain, and, and, and it's not, right? But that's the secret. I'm, a monkey can make money in the market. Um, but they don't want you to know that. <laughs> um, so I couldn't really find anybody. So I started taking some courses and the courses kind of, you know, didn't really get me anywhere. And then I said, okay, well, I'm going to go find a job. 
in something market related. So I actually, I passed my series seven and I got a job as a stock trader. And so I was kind of the guy, uh, a broker. So I was the guy that would call you up and try and sell you 200 shares of Pepsi stock over the phone. Um, and that wasn't, I mean, I learned a lot there. I learned a lot about the markets. I learned a lot about people, that kind of thing, but that wasn't what I wanted, but it got me involved, right? It was just kind of a, 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 a stepping stone. Um, I wanted to actually do it myself. I didn't want to do it with your money. I wanted to learn how I could do it. I didn't want to put you in a fund. I didn't want to do this. I was selling mutual funds. I was doing all this kind of stuff, um, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I just kept seeking knowledge, seeking information, seeking people. Yeah, so I found some guys at the Chicago Board Options Exchange and they kind of spent a lot of time with me and, and helped me, taught me the ropes of how to sell options. Um, and that was, you know, kind of life changing for me because I realized that basically I, I could study probability, I could study kind of risk to reward and I could, it wasn't just like, hey, I'm going to buy some some Pepsi stock and hope it goes up. Right. I mean, that's what most people do when they think of stocks or futures or anything like that is, you know, I'm just going to buy this and hopefully it's a good company and hopefully it goes up. It's very difficult to make money that way. Uh, I mean, you can, I think, you know, I have parts, I have some accounts where that's what I do. I buy good stocks and I hold them. Um, I think it's important to do that, but you know, it's very difficult to get wealthy and to get dangerous doing that. You have to learn how to since basically, you know, puts you in the position as the the house in a casino type situation. You can control the probability of of the trade you're in. Um, so I started learning about that different, you know, short option type trades. Uh, you know, iron condor selling puts different straddles and iron flies, all these different kind of trading strategies. And I started my account way back when with $3,000, which was the minimum that you could have to open an account to trade options. And I lost every penny I was doing. I mean, I wasn't obviously at the level I'm at now, but I knew what I was doing. I knew, I knew kind of how to do some stuff. I lost the money because I was trying. I was seeking. I was, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you've lost some money in real estate as well. And that's where your biggest lessons have come from, you know? Um, and, and so I lost every, I lost every penny of that first account. And, you know, I think that, and, and I've actually come across a lot of people who've asked me to help them and I've helped them. And when that happens to them, they say, ah, oh, this isn't for me. This isn't for me. Why? Well, I lost all my money. And it's like, it's good that you lost all your money in your first account. You know, $3,000, $3,000 is all it costs you to get an education. My goodness, right? You've just, you, you've made money there. You've made money losing $3,000, right? Um, so a lot of people, that's where they quit, right? That's where they give up. And, and, uh, and to me, that, that was my biggest lesson. And then my next, I saved up and kept learning, kept learning. And I paper traded, which is where you trade with no money because I didn't have any money at the time. $3,000 was all I could muster up. And I threw it into the account and lost it all. And then the next $3,000, I doubled. So I just kind of keep plugging in. I mean, when I put a trade on, I have 80 to 90% probability in my favor when I put the trade on. And people say, you know, I, I actually, it's funny. I had uh, a family member on my my wife's side of the family who sells mutual funds and all that and sells insurance, this kind of stuff. 
And he had said to me one time, oh, so what are you doing? He knew I was working in the markets and all this. And because I, I had worked for a couple of trading firms in New York and, and, you know, doing actual day trading, right? Where you sit with Apple all day and you're buying and selling just Apple all day long, um, which is mind numbing. But <laughs> I did all that. I, I got good experience, all this kind of stuff. So he knew I was doing this kind of stuff. And I told him I was getting, I was doing a lot of options trades. And he goes, oh, you're going to, you're going to lose all your money. You know, I was, it's just funny how, and I'm sure you hear it in real estate where, people hear something and it takes them to a, a preloaded kind of thought in their mind and they just blurt it out. Now here's a guy who had no idea what I was doing, has no idea about the things I was doing, but had heard something connected to options and just probably regurgitated it when he heard me say it. And you're just like, my goodness, you know? And, and again, that could be discouraging, right? But it's like, no, I have something here. I know I can put a trade on and know that 80 to 90%, that's going to be in my favor. And people say, well, why don't you do that all the time? I say, I do that all the time. That's what I do, right? I mean, it's, well, why can't I do it? You can. You just don't know how. If you want, I'll teach you, right? I mean, I, I don't have a course. I don't sell my knowledge to anybody. Um, but if you came to me and wanted to learn, I'll show you. I'll take the time. I'll show you email, text message, whatever. I'll show you. I'll show you my screen. I'll show you what I do. I don't hide anything. I think that, you know, learning how to invest, trade a little bit, take advantage. I mean, I've been taking advantage of the coronavirus thing. I mean, I'm already up since the coronavirus happened. I started a new account called my coronavirus account, and it's up 40% already. Because And why? Because there's opportunity, right? There's opportunity. Um you know, I, I always say this, and this is something that you probably see in the real estate uh, business as well, is fear, people's fear is where opportunity is, right? When you're scared of something, that's up. And when everyone else is scared of something and you're not, the opportunity is huge, right? And I always say this analogy, if you're sitting at home and you're watching horror, a horror movie and you're by yourself and it's a Friday night you know, the wife or whatever's went to bed and you go, I'm going to watch this horror movie. And you turn all the lights out and you sit with a glass of wine and you're watching this horror movie. And, you know, there's jumpy parts. And you know you're watching a movie, right? So the movie finishes and you're going to go up to bed. You're looking over your shoulder a little bit. You're turning on an extra light. You're kind of looking in the one room to make sure, you know, you're doing all this very stupid stuff that you know, you know there's no one in the next room. You don't need that extra light on. You don't need to feel scared there but you're scared for nothing right your fear is amplified over nothing and in the market that's how you make money right that's how you make money when everyone else is scared that's when you jump in and what i call it is i sell their fear i tell them you're scared right now and you don't need to be as scared as you are and i'll make a, a bet on that and they say hey i am scared right now sure let's do it and what happens is that fear spikes, but then it dissipates. Fear in the market is the only thing that reverts to some kind of mean, right? Price, price can go up and never come back, right? So price never reverts to the mean, where fear does, right? And I'm sure you see in, a, in the real estate market when there's fear, you know, it's, it's usually amplified. And people do crazy stuff when they're scared. So what happens is when the fear spikes, I sell it. And then as it comes back down and dissipates, I buy it back. And that's how, that's basically how I make money in the market. And I do it selling options. So right now when everything kind of crashed there, right? Um, I started selling puts, put options on 
stuff that had just been absolutely hammered because there's a lot of fear there. Hey, this industry is going to get destroyed because of this coronavirus or, you know, hey, I'm dumping all of this, you know, okay, there's fear there. I'm selling that fear. And then already that fear started to dissipate because we kind of know what this virus is now and we know where we're at with it. And we, you know, the next thing with this virus is not going to be Godzilla coming out of New York Harbor, right? I mean, it's, it is what it is. We kind of know where we're at with it and it's still crazy. There's still a concern. There's still all this, but it doesn't look like it's going to be a world dissipate. And then that's when the money comes in. You know, I've been saying forever that what's what's going to start to affect the market, it, it's it's all imaginary. It's when people start to get scared, lenders start to tighten up. And then when lenders start to hear other lenders are tightening up, then they all go, oh, and then all of a sudden, you know, all the people that jumped into real estate when it was easy and it was the cool thing to do and they were overpaying for properties and getting all these easy loans, now it's hard. And when it's hard, people freak out or they quit. So, you know, I've been investing forever now. So I, I've been looking forward to this and making those relationships and, and prepping my lenders of, like this is the time when everybody else is going, I'm getting out. We're going, no, we're staying right where we are. We're going to get better deals. And when everybody comes back to their senses and they start going, real estate's good again, we'll resell them the same overpriced properties that we bought from them at a discount when they were scared. You know, it's the same type of analogies and stuff. It's crazy. But so, I mean, I, again, I have taken my lumps on the real estate side. My lenders never have. I've always paid everybody every dollar, even if it costs out of my end. But again, those lessons have been the most important, just like, you, know, you get tapped out a hundred times with the same thing in jujitsu. You learn not to do that because of that reinforcement. But on the stock side, I don't know anything. Like I've invested in stocks with people that I just trusted and went, you know, it's like family, hey, just just do this. And if I never see that money again, I'm I'm okay with that. But you know, I see a lot of people now going, Oh man, I just bought this stock or I bought that stock and this is down, this is the time to buy. But I again I think it's people that don't really know. They know enough to be dangerous, they think it's a good time. What are you seeing as far as that? Because I am seeing a lot of people jumping out now, starting to say, you know, I'm going to make a million dollars buying Apple stock or Disney stock now because in 30 days it's going to go back up. Or, you know, I'm sure the same way I see everybody saying, hey, I just watched Flip This House. I'm going to go be a millionaire in real estate. You're probably dealing with that on the stock side. So, like, what, what's yeah. that version of it? So, um, first of all, I don't mind. Well, I used to i used to manage big portfolios i don't manage anyone else's money right now i i manage all my own money for a couple of reasons it's more fun i can do what i want and i don't have to report to anybody <laughs> um but let me give you let me give you a, an example of what i'm doing and and i'll make it a real life example to now um it's what april 10th right april 10th and so this coronavirus things happened if you're watching this later here's an here's an example so when the coronavirus thing happened, one of the major industries that was hammered was airlines, right? Obviously. Um, three big airlines here in this country and in the world are Delta, United Airlines, and American Airlines, right? Uh, so they're getting hammered. Now, in United Airlines, I fly United whenever I travel and to jujitsu and all this, I always fly United, so I'll give you the example. I don't own any United stock. It was trading before this, uh, I'm looking at my phone here, it was trading around $80 a share when the coronavirus thing hit and the crash hit. It went down as low as 17, right? So from 80, 80 to $17 a share. That's 
that's a hammering, right? That's, that's destruction. So a lot of people go, okay, well, I don't really know if the airlines are going to come back. Maybe United Airlines is going to go out of business, but $17 shares, right? Okay, you can buy some shares. How much are you going to buy? How, how much money do you want to throw into United? How much other stuff do you want to do? There's more opportunity out there than United, right? I mean, if, it, if you buy shares at $17.50 and it goes back up to $80, you've made some money. Good, right? What I do is different. What I do is I say, okay, United's trading at $17. My, my, my position is I don't think that United Airlines is going to go, is going to be below three dollars in january 2021 17 right now right or it was 17 at the time 17 i do is i set the three put i go into the options chain and i say okay i go to january 2021 and i sell i put an order out to sell that three put someone else on the other side says hey this is a lottery ticket for me i'll take the other side of mark's trade because if it goes down below three he's going to buy something that's below three from me at $3, right? So he's going to make some money there. It's a lottery ticket from him. It's at 17. It could go below three. It's very cheap for him to, to put that out there. It's going to cost him. And I know the price just because I know what he, what, what I got for the, for the trade. It was going to cost a dollar 24 per contract, right? So he was going to, for every contract I wanted to write, he was going to give me a dollar 24 for that law lottery ticket for that chance, right? Of owning the stock at $3 when it was under $3. So he would make the difference, obviously. Now, why is he, why would he do that? Why, why, why did, why would someone on the other side of my trade buy the option that I'm selling? You'd have to ask him. I don't buy options, right? But it's the fear, right? The fear is there. And, and that lottery ticket mentality that, you know, you see it on the stock side a lot. I'm going to buy this at $5 and it's going to go to the moon. It's going to be the next Google. It's going to be the next Amazon. It's that, hey, I have some money for a lottery ticket. I'll throw it down. I mean, people buy lottery tickets every day. You go to the gas station, people are buying racks of lottery tickets, right? $20 a week on lottery tickets and it just becomes toilet paper for them, you know, but they're willing to do it, right? So it's the same concept. I'm just the guy selling them the lottery ticket. So, now, if you look at what's going on, when I put that trade on, it was 17 something, right? And I sold the three put. Now, United Airlines is back up to 31.50, closed yesterday at 31.50. So as, as that price increases and time decays, the premium that that guy gave me per contract slowly like leaks out of the trade, right? Time is my friend in this trade. Time is the of the guy on the other side. So I just have to sit now. I mean, I could get out of the trade now and take 40%, right? Um, and, and I have different trades where I take different profit levels. But these ones, January 2021, there's plenty of time. I mean, I, I really don't think United Airlines is going to be trading below $3 in January 2021, right? I mean, and if it is, I'll own the shares. It's not really that big a deal. I don't lose a ton of money. What happens is when there's at $3, right i mean it's it's not the end of the world there um and plus i c collected a premium t to do so to take that risk so um it's you know if, if and and the risk you say well what's the risk in that trade well okay i collected a dollar 24 of premium and and my risk is the three dollars per share 
So my risk in the trade is technically for every contract, it's a, it's a, it's a hundred shares. So it's $300 minus the, the 124. That's not a lot of risk to, to make $120 per, per contract. So what I've done is I've increased my probability to make money but I've lowered the amount of money that I can make. I don't have an unlimited profit. It's not like I bought the shares at $17 and they can go to a thousand and I have unlimited profit potential, but, and, and you can do that, but your probability of it going to a thousand is very small. My probability in this trade was 87%, right? Of me making 87% of me making my maximum amount, you know? So, uh, you know, anything can happen with United Airlines. Who knows, right? Um, you know, the very next United Airlines flight that happens, Godzilla could come out of New York Harbor and bite the plane in half. And who knows, right? And, and then that could tank the stock. Who knows? But I, I'm just playing the numbers. I don't care about the company. I don't care about the coronavirus. I don't care about any of that. I go by what the numbers say. I go by what the probability says. Right. It's kind of like in jujitsu. Hey, if I put my foot here, I know you can't grab me this way or I know you can't sweep me there. So I do it. Right. I don't care what grips you have. I don't care what, what it is you're looking to do. I don't care what color your belt is. If my foot is here in this position, in this moment, you can't sweep me. And, and so that's what I do. I don't take any of this kind of ancillary background noise and let it affect me. No emotion, nothing like that. I just go by the numbers. That's all. And so that's an example. If you guys are getting anything from the podcast and some of the great knowledge and tips that the guests are sharing, please take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or any of your platforms with some stars and some comments, helping spread the promotion and spread some visibility for the podcast, for the guests, and for the knowledge so we can continue to do this. It'll only take a minute. I appreciate it. If you guys could take the time, it would go a very, very long way. Again, leave a review on iTunes, start to share, start to spread the word. I really would appreciate it if you're getting anything out of this. Thank you. So when you're talking about calls and puts for people that aren't in the stock world, you're, you're basically hedging your bets and like pre-calling your shot of whether or not over the, the timeline it's going to go up or it's going to go down. And somebody else is basically betting on the other side of that, right? Yeah, I'm basically out there, you know, driving the bus and I'm the one saying, hey, here's what I think or here's what I'm willing to throw some risk at this situation that United Airlines won't go below $3 by January 21st. I put that out to the market and someone says, Hey, I'll, I'll take the other side of that. <laughs> right. And my, my reasons for doing it are my reasons and their reasons for doing it are their reasons. You know, again, if you look at that, that's very low probability for the guy on the other side. But you know, a lot of people say to me, well, why would someone ever do that? Would someone ever take the, you know, I know United Airlines, they're a solid company. They're probably not going to go below $3 by January 2021. Why would someone take the other side of that trade? Why do people play the lottery every, every week? It just, someone, that's a market, right? I mean, you know, that's a market. That's, that's what's so great about this thing is it's a market. So someone's taking that, they're risking their $1.24, which is $124 per contract, um, and you can, you know, sell as many, I'll, I'll sell as many contracts on that as someone wants to buy. Right. Um, but they, they have their reasons for doing it and, and, and I'm, I'm okay with their reasons. I don't care about their reasons. Right. I'm, it's not like if I could ask them and say, why did you take the other side of my trade? And they gave me their reasons and they were well thought out. It's not like it would sway me and be like, Oh, maybe I, maybe I made a bad decision. Right. Which, 
you know, let's talk about decision making, you know, and I'm sure in real estate, you find it in the market, we find it and in life, we find it right. And and jujitsu helps with this. Jujitsu is just nothing but making decisions. You know, we make more decisions on the mat in, in a, in, in a day, in a training, two hour training session than most people make in a week, right? People don't make decisions. People just do the same stuff over and over and over. Right. And I always get into arguments with people about decision making. And one of the people is my wife, right? <laughs> my viewpoint, my viewpoint on decisions is you can't judge a decision based on the Right. If I, if I make a decision, if I make a decision and it works out for me, a lot of people would say, oh, that was a good decision. And vice versa. If I make a decision and, and, it, and I lose money or it doesn't work out or whatever, then they'd say, oh, that's a bad decision. You lost there. Right. That decision didn't work out for you. But that we can't look at decisions like that. We have to judge our decisions based on the information we have at the time we make the decision. Right. Cause that's all we have. That's all we know. Right. So if you take it, um, yeah. So if, if, when we have, when we're making a decision, the, the decision has to be judged on the information we have at the time we make the decision. Right. So if we have, everything looks good in this decision we're about to make numbers look good. Everything looks great. And then somewhere down the line, it doesn't work out. And, and the result that we wanted, we don't get, that doesn't mean that was a bad decision. That was a good decision. And vice versa, we could make a we could make a terrible decision and just, you know, hey, throw throw it all on red, right? If it works out for us, that's not a good decision. That's just luck, right? You you can't repeat that. You can't repeat that. And and over time, you know, if if you're dotting all your I's and you're crossing all your T's, whether it's in the market, you know, the financial markets or in real estate or in jujitsu or or whatever. Uh, family decisions, if you're dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's, making those decisions based on the information you have at the time, over a large amount of occurrences, you're going to be more successful than you're not. You're always going to have things that don't work out, but those can be good decisions. And you just don't want to get used to making bad decisions where some of those bad decisions work out for you and some of those bad decisions don't because then you don't know what you're doing. Then you can run yourself into big, big trouble, right? Um, on a personal level and a financial level, you have to be able to, to look at your decision-making and quantify it so that, it's, so that you can repeat it. Yeah, again, I, I think you're, you hit it on the head with the decisions that are, are on and off the mat. It's, it's the same type of thing. So, I mean, I can think of how many times we'll roll in the morning and I'll just be in a bad spot. And I'll be like, all right, I just know this sucks and I can't stay here. So I have to do something and I'll just go to make a move. And then you'll wind up on my back or a mat or something. And I'll literally yell out, I'll be like, that was stupid. Like, why did I do that? And then it's like, all right, well, that was the decision that I made. And I've made that decision bad enough times that I know not to do that again. But I think that's probably why I do like jujitsu because the variables are, they're always causing you to think. You don't have the luxury of sitting still and just letting life happen because if you do that, you're just going to, the guy's just going to mash you. And, I, and, you know, you actually said it to me a bunch of times of there's things that I'm doing, like you'll show me how to do something or I'll go back to New York and I'll learn something in mats and I'll come back and I'll try and do it. And it won't work on you. And you'll say, look, just because it didn't work on me doesn't mean that you didn't do it right. And then I'll go and I'll do it 
like rolling with somebody else and I'll be like, okay, cool. But these are like those little things of the, the details in that technique for somebody like you who's thinking steps ahead or knows what I'm doing versus me doing it on a blue belt or somebody like that. And like, why doesn't it always work? But I think just learning those lessons of like, you got to make a move, you just got to start doing it. And you, you have to use your past experiences and the things that you're learning to judge what you're going to do the next time instead of just, you know, I, I ask more and more, why does this work? Why does it not work? And that's part of what we were working on was like when we were doing privates and stuff, which has been very helpful for me in the middle of a role, you look at me and be like, why the hell did you just do that? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, well, you know, think about what you're doing, S slow down, make better decisions, use logic. And you know, that's where I'm, I've been trying to work more on like the mental game. So this break of actually having to think about those things and watch those videos and work with stuff has really been helping me. But again, it's no different than with, um, than with real estates or probably trades. And you know, I did, I, I always say to everybody, how you handle anything is how you handle everything. How you do the small stuff is going to be how you do the big stuff. So, you know, do it all with pride, bring your A game. That's where the podcast kind of came from. And so obviously the intelligence and the logic you put behind your jujitsu is why you're one of the highest ranked jujitsu guys in the world. And I'm seeing you do the same thing now with your gym. So I definitely want to hear about some of the stuff that you're doing because the growth that you've had with the BJJ Academy in Naperville, even over the last like two or three months, I, I think talking to Brad Johnson for doing an awesome job there. You have really good people there. You, you're growing a really good community there. You have killers like, you know, Vlad and, and all these guys that are doing good stuff. And even, um, even some of the dip disciplines, like you were saying, I think smell good. Mike was talking about how, Hey, I, I, I don't really know when to train. So I'm just going to watch those videos when I normally would have been going to class. And I was like, and that's good creating those habits like I like that kind of stuff you know but um so you've been doing a lot of stuff recently where it actually wound up perfect for the fact that again now we just have another obstacle you know a few weeks ago it was the market's too saturated or you know whatever and now it's it's the coronavirus but now you have the video so you're just you're always pivoting you always have to move to be successful there's always going to be another coronavirus or another jiu-jitsu school that opened around the corner but some of the stuff you're doing you've really taken over this area in a very small amount of time i think talking to brad he said that you guys grew like 20 or 25 percent in like just the beginning of the of the year so um just obviously again you're, you're making the right decisions you're obviously using logic or past experiences so talk a little bit about the academy and some of the the stuff that you're doing there and some of the growth you're bringing in a lot of new programs a women's program um you know what do you attribute to because obviously you're doing a lot of really good things there people are catching on and, and you're really getting a lot of momentum it's cool to be a part of and watch it grow yeah i think so when i started my academy uh it wasn't set up to be a business what happened was there was a couple guys saw me working out at a gym and i had a t-shirt on a jujitsu t-shirt and they said hey um will you teach us? And I said, no. <laughs> and, uh, and I was talking to Damien about it and he kind of pushed me. He's like, Hey, you know, you might be all they have. And, and, and I had guys that I would roll with and then it kind of turned into a, okay, well we can get a nicer place if everyone chips in. Um, and, and then it just kind of became a business. And then when I really started to get a good group, I mean, we have close to 150 members now, um, you know, and these people, you guys all, you're not membership dues to me. I want to see you progress. I want to see you do well, right? I mean, I've literally done this for free. The fact that, you know, people pay now is because we are a business, right? I mean, that's part of the thing, but I have done this and would do this for free if I could. 
Um, I want to see that growth. I, you know, I have multiple people now, you know, two handfuls of people that I have seen go from white belt to black belt. Um, and it, it's an incredible thing. I mean, it takes about 10 years. It's one of the most difficult things to do. It takes a lot of adversity, perseverance, all this kind of stuff. So, you know, running the business and being able to put a hundred percent of me into not just everybody, but into every each individual person, because I do that. And you know, you've seen me do that. When I roll with you, I'm looking at you and I'm working on you and I'm pushing you. And then when I roll with say Mike or, or Ian or, or whoever, I'm trying to find what they need to look into them and give it to them. Right. It's not just blanket for everybody. It's not that jujitsu is not that. And I don't ever want my Academy to be that. So what I found was I said, look, it's very hard to do both. It's very hard to run the business, promote the business, grow the business, and plug in to these people as much as I want to all together. So I started kind of researching a lot of people, guys like, say, Donald Trump, guys like Mark Cuban, guys who have these massive operations, these Jeff Bezos that have these massive companies, massive operations that, and you're like, how in the world do they do that? Right. And what they do is they put, they try and put the right people in the right places to do this and the right people in the right place to do that. And then that drives everything. Right. And, and it all kind of comes together as one when you have the right people in the right place. So um, Brad has been that guy, right? Brad is fantastic with the promotion stuff. You know, a lot of the stuff he does, I would never think to do. And, you know, I don't have the time to do, right? The, the little meticulous things he did. And if, I, and if I made time to do those things, which I have no problem making time, right? We talked about that. What the, the, the problem is then it takes away a little bit from something else. And my life, the way it's structured, and we, we kind of touched on it, is, is a very intricate balance of what I I need to give up here to give the most here and what I need to give up there to, to kind of equal everything out and make sure that I'm hitting everything equally. Right. And, and, and with, with an ability to actually do something with, not just doing things, but actually making it happen. So putting Brad in place there has been, has been crazy. And I mean, I basically sold him a part of the business to, to do that. And, and again, it's, that's a fantastic way to invest in yourself and in your business. I mean, he's, he's incredible, right? He's incredible. He now owns a huge part of the business and is, and is turning that over for himself. And, and I have no problem with that decision because we've grown exponentially for two reasons. Number one, all of his promotion stuff and, and how he runs the business on the back end and, and you know, all of that is great. But what that's done is it's allowed me to really focus in on you guys, right? Um, you know, I, I can do privates with all the people that want to do privates with me. I can, um, you know, focus on we're starting the, the women's program and bringing in a, a high-level world champion female to, to run that and to teach that. I mean, that took a few months of, of trying to find the right person to, to make that happen. And, you know, I, I can really plug into the on-the-mat type stuff and onto the individual people. You know, we have a competition team where the guys are getting really serious on that competition team. And, you know, they're, they're a Ferrari. They're, they're Ferraris. I need to keep putting the right fuel into them and, and motivating them and plugging into them. And, 
and you know there's guys in the academy that are too hard on themselves that I need to not babysit but you know I mean I, I can't I don't paint everyone with the same brush if, if you need a little extra motivation I give that if you need me to be tougher on you I give that but it takes time to find out if Nick needs me to be an asshole to him or if he needs me to coddle him a little bit it takes it takes time it takes effort it takes insight to do that where you know there's a lot of people high level jujitsu practitioners that have academies that they just they don't put that kind of focus on their on their members they're, they're great instructors they run great businesses but that's a piece that they just don't have now whether they need to have that whether they should have that i don't know right but i want that and and because i want that in my academy there's things i have to do to make that happen and so you know if you're running a business or or you have something you want to do that just you feel out you know the, the feeling is if you feel like geez i don't know how i'm going to do this or i feel stretched or i'm really knocking it out of the park on these things but over here i'm missing something there or i'm not getting to that i'm not i'm not as successful over here as i am over there then maybe you need someone maybe you need to put someone there and it could be a friend it could be a spouse it could be you know some kind of management company you know i mean we think about you right you have management companies for your properties yeah oh yeah for sure yeah, yeah i mean imagine if you didn't i see people you, lose you probably, their money all the time because of that they're trying to save money yeah self-managing they lose all their time they lose all their money and now what yeah i mean how would you even put a new deal together to to really find the niche in another market or to really find this or that if you have to deal with you know, collecting rents and fixing this and, and you just, you can't do that. Right. So because your operation is so big, that doesn't mean that you need the management company. You have the management company and that's allowed your business to grow so big. Right. And, and people, people switch those two things up. Right. I can't do that, you know, because I'm not big enough. Well, you're never going to get big enough if you don't do that. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I think strengths and weaknesses plays a big part in, uh, I was just talking to another guy who's a Navy guy, Bill Allen, big time real estate guy. And he was saying the same thing. He's like, anytime I say yes to something, I'm saying no to something else. So what am I willing to sacrifice at this time? Because if I say yes to you, now I'm saying no to my family or to my students. Or, sure. And I think that that's, that's a really huge thing. And it makes it easier for me to say no, because I used to suck at doing that. And now I'm getting better at it. But uh, you know, I, I do see what you're doing with the students. And I do see what Brad's doing there. And I see the, the way that since that's happened, um, there, I, I, I think I said it to you a few weeks ago, like something just feels different lately at that gym. And I feel like in a good way, like all these things are happening, like people are coming down, there, there's more interaction on the what. It's like, like literally the WhatsApp's going off like while we're talking to the students and, you know, Stephanie's posting food stuff and you're going, no food, pick. but it's, it's, it's cool. And, um, you know, I have learned from watching some guys like you. And, you know, I spent a lot of time with Matt, Sarah, and Ray Longo, and I've watched how they do exactly that. You know, the guys that are good, that retain students from white belt to black belt and aren't just mentors, but they're friends. And, you know, you, you can come to them for all that stuff. They learn how to adjust that and really how to address people's personalities. And I can't talk to this person the same as that. And I think a good coach is somebody who knows how to talk to their fighters or talk to their students in a way that brings out the best in them. Because if you do that the wrong way, somebody who might have been a long-term person is going to walk out the door. So you have to know that for people and for business. And, and I think that that's a huge thing that people miss when they do try and do that business. Because again, it's, 
Not everybody learns the same way. Not everybody, you might call me an asshole. And if I'm sensitive, I go, I'm going to go to a different gym where people tell me how great I am. And, you know, maybe I won't get any better, but you know, th those things I think are, are huge. And over the years, I've seen a lot of guys that can kick my ass, but not all of them can teach me how to do it or have the patience to explain it to me in a way that I'm going to listen and I'm going to absorb it. And I feel like you've done a really, really good job of that. So uh, I, I appreciate it for sure. I'm, I've learned a ton from you and I'm having a blast with all the guys and girls down at that gym and all the things you're doing and just training and listening to John and having you choke me out and all those things, man. And again, I've shared it with a lot of the guys back home at Sarah BJJ and Ray Longo's and I can't wait for you to come down and meet Matt and train with Hulk Smash and Gersh and all these guys that are probably listening. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. I think you coming down to New York, man, you guys will fit right in there. And uh, you know, it, it's, it's been cool. It's allowed me to find a home out here too. So I appreciate all the stuff you've done to help me over the years. And uh you know, screw you for all the choking me in the morning. <laughs> but uh, hey, man, your family—that that—that's what we do to family, right? Yeah. We choke them. Yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way, man. So it's it's been great, and uh, you know, I'm hoping again I can get some of those guys out here to to hang out and train at, at the school out here, and you guys can go back and forth. So it's been really good for me. I get to sure. grow by being around a lot of really great people. But uh, that's all I'm trying to do with this. You know, I keep telling everybody the only cool thing about me is all the people that I know. So. Um, how, how do people find, find you, find your gym, um, see some of the promotions and stuff, learn some more about maybe some of the day trips? Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, Instagram, Mark Turner, BJJ. Um, and then the website is, uh, BJJ lab, Naperville.com. Uh, you can Google BJJ lab, Naperville. Um, and then, yeah, if anyone has any questions, I'm always willing to help get people started, uh, trading. I mean, I, I think it's, I think trading and, and learning, just very simple, basic stuff in the market. I think that's something we should be teaching to kids in schools. I think it's something that everyone should know. Um, you know, there's a lot, life is just opportunity and there's a lot of opportunity in the market that's just left because of lack of knowledge. And it doesn't take some super secret education. It doesn't take a finance degree, you know, two clicks and you can make some money in the market. And, and all you have to do is be able to know if, 90% probability is good or not, <laughs> right? I mean, 90% probability in your favor seems pretty good. I'm okay with taking the, that 10% risk there, click, right? I mean, so I'm always interested in getting people started. People did that for me and it's changed my life. So um, I'm more than willing to pay that forward. So, you know, send me a message on Instagram. Uh, I will get back to you. Um, you can email me as well, markturnerbjj at gmail. And um, yeah, thanks a lot for having me and to everyone listening. Thanks for listening. Dude, appreciate it. Uh, time's always, always well spent. Looking forward to getting back on the mat. Thanks for everything you're doing with the gym and the online videos and the WhatsApp chats and all that stuff. And uh, again, we got to make something happen with the Sarah connection and get you guys all together and training and stuff. So looking forward to getting back on the mat with you, man. Stay safe. Thank you for your time. Mark Turner, ladies and gentlemen.